Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Jessica Chen, we play and the award goes to. And then, behold, we are a show of culture, for we celebrate the greatest condiment of all time, Miracle Whip. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's time for the Legal Toolkit Podcast again. That's right. This is Arthur Conan Doyle's favorite podcast. Or I'm sure it would have been if he ever had a chance to listen to podcasts. Poor bastard. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though my biscuit joiner isn't used for what you think it is. I'm your host, Jared Correa. You're stuck with me because Nick Bakai was unavailable. He was busy hosting the Tournament of Champions over at the Dirty Dozens. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Jessica Chen, who's going to be great, I want to take a moment to talk with you about my latest television obsession. As you know, I watch way too much TV. I've talked about video games on this podcast before. Sometimes I'm forced to play them with my family. But I'm really not a video game guy, per se. I mean, getting an 8-bit Nintendo was a major life event for me, but it also was for like every other 7-year-old in 1985. I mean, they made a fucking movie about it. And yeah, I played a lot of Mario, Duck Hunt, Wild Gunman, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out!, Jaws, etc., etc. And yes, I played video games in college like Wave Racer and GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. I really, really sucked uh, because I didn't put any time into this stuff, like at all. I'd have a gun in GoldenEye and my friends would drop their weapons and bitch slap me to death. That was pretty fucking embarrassing, let me tell you. Now, my son routinely humiliates me in Madden 23. But can I be real with you for a second? Why are there so many fucking buttons? So here I am at the start of 2023 looking for a new TV series to watch. And HBO is coming out with a show called The Last of Us. And they usually put out good shows. And there are a lot of things to recommend this program in particular. Okay, here's my announcement. Spoilers to follow. If you haven't seen the complete first season of The Last of Us, which I just finished yesterday, go do that and then come back and listen to the show. Don't worry. We'll wait. All right, that's enough of a warning. Let's get back after it. The Last of Us involves a fungal infection that mutates to affect humans and leads to a global pandemic that basically, in a nutshell, destroys society as people are turned into monsters, effectively. The fungus takes over your brain and controls you like a zombie. What's fucked up is that this is a real thing, by the way. Uh, there's a fungal infection that affects insects like this, which could theoretically morph into something that infects humans. Good times. But I'm in. This is like my thing. Post-apocalyptic TV series. All right. You've, I'm kind of hooked already. And this show even kicks off with a fake clip of a scientist basically predicting that something like this could happen way back in the 1960s. Uh, in the show timeline, the pandemic starts in 2003. I love historical stuff like this, including historical fiction, when it's well done, as it is here. There's also a scene in one of the later episodes where the pandemic starts in Asia, and one scientist is like, fuck it, bomb the entire city. 
So this seems really bad. And that's because the infected humans are violently attacking other infected humans because the virus wants to spread and that's how it spreads. Now, if that concept alone doesn't reel you in, and I don't know why it wouldn't, the show also stars Pedro Pascal, who is like the most famous actor on the planet right now. He was in Game of Thrones. He was in Narcos. He was fantastic in a movie called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where he plays Nicolas Cage's biggest fan. Trust me, this movie's awesome. You should watch it. And he's a fucking Mandalorian in The Mandalorian. Plus, he's BFFs with Sarah Paulson, who's great in pretty much everything she does, and she helped him get a role in Game of Thrones. Um, as the dude who got his head crushed in, but I digress. So the joke is he always plays these adoptive dad type roles. See, Yoda, comma, baby. And that's the case here, too. In The Last of Us, he takes charge of a girl who's actually immune to the fungal infection. You probably see where this is going. The girl, played by Bella Ramsey and named Ellie, Pascal's character is called Joel, was also in Game of Thrones. This girl was. She was a salty uh, 10-year-old monarch. So the deal is Joel needs to get Ellie to some doctors who can use her to extract a cure and save humanity. Low stakes all around. And then, as I'm hyped up to watch this show, I find out that The Last of Us is based on a video game, and I get cold feet. Now, if this were based on a book, I would have been all over this shit, no questions asked. Because remember, I'm biased against video games because I'm old. I think they're lame and that they lack depth. But in the end, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to watch it. I mean, every video game adaption can't be bad, right? Fortunately, The Last of Us is very good. I think Breaking Bad is the best television show of all time. It's just brilliant on so many levels. But The Last of Us is the best TV show I've seen since Breaking Bad. Obviously, I'm telling everybody to watch it like I'm doing right now. It's probably getting annoying at this point. So the plot's good. The acting's great. You already knew that. However, I think what I like best about The Last of Us is that the pace is different than other TV shows I watched. It's almost like an anthology. And I think maybe that's because the video game scenes are set up this way or the gameplay is compacted. So that the episodes are like these really intense, self-contained journeys. It's really amazing. And again, I'm coming at this as someone who has never played The Last of Us video game, and I know nothing at all about the plot or what's coming up before it smashes directly into me while I'm watching the show. Maybe that's the best way to watch it. I don't know. And maybe this is part of the video game structure as well, but you're poking around on an episode, and then all of a sudden five minutes are left, and this massive tragedy happens, leaving you dumbfounded and profoundly sad. Um, Try not to watch this show before you go to bed. Seriously, that's a real public service announcement. These episodes are super impactful. They're some of the best standalone TV episodes I've ever seen. The first episode is pretty chill until a full-blown pandemic breaks out overnight and Joel's daughter gets attacked by an elderly lady who's been infected. But don't worry, his daughter fucking dies mid-episode because one of the government officials on site is killing people, even if they're not infected. The government's incompetent. That's not believable. I am. But Jill's brother saves him, and 20 years later, he ends up in a quarantine zone in Boston, probably looting some dunks. Although what's delightful is that they actually raid a Cumberland Farms at a later episode, and then they have this big screen grab of the Rocky Mountains, and they're like 10 miles west of Boston. Well, not quite. Um, But the pilot episode is really well done. It's kind of staggering. It, It reminds me of the pilot episode of Lost, which is all just like chaos at the end, and then some dude gets sucked into a jet engine. So the odd-numbered episodes are the best, in my opinion. And episode three is a standout also. It involves Nick Offerman. Yes, 
Ron fucking Swanson himself as a doomsday prepper who hides out from the authorities and fortifies his own town rather than entering the quarantine zone. The scenes involving him going out and gathering goods in his pickup truck, listening to classic rock on volume 11, just sublime. I'm here for it. But there's a twist when he rescues a guy from one of his traps. It turns out that Ron Swanson is gay. And then the greatest love story ever told reveals itself. Seriously, best love story I've ever seen depicted in a single episode of television. And there was some controversy about this when it came out, but it's just really good. And honestly, if you're not into or over two bearded dudes making out in 2023, I don't know what to tell you. Just watch it. Uh, episode five was maybe the saddest episode, in my opinion. So Joel and Ellie meet these two brothers and the older brothers protecting his deaf younger brother. There's a big battle and the four of them escape. So I'm like, cool, Joel and Ellie have some buddies to travel with. That's great. There's only five minutes left in the episode. What could possibly go wrong? But uh-oh, the younger brother got bitten by one of the infected zombies, and now he's infected. But wait, Ellie's immune. So she sensibly tries to manage like a janky blood transfusion to see if she can save him. Of course, the next day, he turns into a monster anyway, and his brother has to kill him. Then immediately shoots himself. And scene. I mean, the fuck? This show is just emotionally devastating. In episode eight, which is the episode that came out before the season finale, the penultimate episode, uh, Joel's injured, gets stabbed, and Ellie tries to protect him, but she's kidnapped by an evil preacher, who it turns out is leading a group of cannibals. Oh, and he's a pedophile and tries to rape Ellie in a burning building. Uh, Jesus Christ, I mean, well, the good news here is that Ellie stabs the shit out of this would-be rapist and finds Joel, who calls her by the nickname he used to use for his late daughter. <clears throat> is it Dusty in here, or is it just me? Now, the season finale, which I watched last night, is pretty amazing. Ellie and Joel are captured but by the group that are looking for the cure for the infected. So that's, that's good, right? Like, they're going to be able to find a cure now. Everything's going to be happy. Show's over. That's a wrap. Thanks for coming, everybody. Well, not so much. Ellie's already in the operating room when Joel starts to realize that since the infection attacks the brain, they're going to have to kill Ellie to extract enough samples to find a cure. So they give Joel a gun. Seriously, you give him a gun. And they have two guys, two fucking guys. That's it, two guys, really? Who lead him out of this makeshift hospital and predictably kills him in the stairwell. Uh, Joel, though, has no time to fuck around which is one of the reasons why I really like this character. So after he kills the first guy, he asks the second guy, where is she? And when he doesn't respond immediately, Jill says, I don't have time for this, and shoots him in the face. <laughs> Good times. After that, Jill just goes shithouse. He kills the doctor performing the surgery. He kills the leader of the group supporting the doctor, and he pretty much kills everybody else. Then he takes off in a pickup truck with Ellie. Only he lies to Ellie, who was knocked out this whole time for her surgery, and says they found other people who were immune. This is a total lie which she reasserts at the end of the episode. Now, that's a problem because Ellie was actually willing to sacrifice her life to provide the cure. But Joel wanted to save her, as any father, surrogate, or otherwise would want to do, even if the pandemic continues on. And thus, season two awaits. I can't wait, personally. Maybe I should go play Red Dead Redemption or some shit. Nah, I'm not going to do that. Partner with Rankings.io the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, 
even during off hours. Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. All right, everybody, let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal sandwich. Today's meat is jellyfish. Wait, is fish even a meat? Anyway, let's get after it. It's time to interview our guest. Today, we have a really great guest for you, making her first appearance and maybe her last appearance on the Legal Tech Podcast. We'll see how things go and if she wants to come back. It's Jessica Chen, the founder and CEO of Soulcast Media. Jessica, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So I kind of, you're not an attorney, so good call on your part, by the way. So can you tell me about what it is that you do? Because I think you built sort of a really interesting career for yourself. Yes. So I was going to say, I'm not an attorney, which if anything, it kind of adds a nice refreshed retake in terms of the work that I do. So yeah. long story short, I used to be a former television news reporter. So it's funny, I used to work with attorneys, but usually when it was not good stuff. So I used <laughs> to be on TV. I was a journalist for about 10 years. I was at ABC, NBC. I was in New York for a few years. So after about 10 years in news was when I decided to leave and start my own agency which is Soulcast Media. And we are a communications training firm. So we work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, a lot of law firms to teach folks how to become better communicators, more strategic communicators, and help them with things like their elevator pitches, presentation skills, investor relations, things like that. So communications is really what we do. It's interesting that you call it strategic communications. I know you didn't invent that term obviously. But I think a lot of law firms, especially, are just like, you know, we're just going to throw stuff against the wall and see what happens. Everything's like super ad hoc. But I imagine they're not the only businesses who do that. So I assume part of what you do is like come in and be like, all right, everybody, we need an actual strategy to do this. So you advise them on that first and then the implementation. Is that how it goes or am I, uh, am I way off there? No, you're right. Okay. You know, a lot of times communications happens because it's you're reacting to something, right? right? You know, stuff's not going as planned. Oh my God, we have to get an all hands meeting. We have to send a memo, right? And oftentimes it's just thrown together very last minute. But oftentimes when I work with folks, it's like, okay, let's take a bird's eye view of what the heck is happening, right? And then be strategic in what's, what are we going to say and how we're going to say, because you have to be pretty mindful of how people are going to interpret what you're going to essentially communicate. So essentially I come in, not only do I help with kind of the bigger vision communications, but it's like, how can we craft this? So you're not getting people screaming and yelling and freaking out essentially. <laughs> yes. I love that. That's great. I'm always interested in like people's career paths. And what's cool is we get a lot of founders on the show. 
And everybody's got this really interesting trajectory of how they end up where they are. So I can see why, as a news person, you would have come out and set up a communications company. But can you talk a little bit about how that transit? Like, when did you decide to do something else? Why did you decide to do this? And how did you, like, rip the Band-Aid off and make the jump? Because that's hard to do if you're getting a salary to start your own company. It was really hard to do, but to be honest, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit inside of me. And I think that's actually why I enjoyed news because there's a lot of independence in it too. You know, you're assigned something and you just have the whole day to figure out how to put it together. So I already was kind of like itching that, you know, when I was a reporter. But to be honest, the reason why I started Soulcast Media was because I was not a good communicator. I, <laughs> and this is the honest truth. I grew up in a very uh, traditional household where communication, speaking up, was not something that I was really taught. And fast forward, when I started working in news, it was almost like a huge culture shock where I was suddenly around all these really loud, charismatic, ultra confident communicators. I mean, if you can imagine people on TV, right? And for me, I was just kind of like that, to be honest, I was really, I was really that quiet person who had a really hard time figuring out how do I pitch myself? How do I huh. talk about my stories? How do I get people to listen to my ideas? I always tell folks that starting my career as a journalist was actually the best training ground to become a better communicator because you're communicating every single day, presenting yeah. on TV, interviewing people, right? So that's actually why I started Soulcast Media because I wanted to help folks who did not see themselves as naturally strong communicators. I wanted to teach those skills to people. So that's why I started Soulcast Media. That's really cool. So it's funny you mentioned growing up in traditional households. When I was a kid, I was in, uh, I, there were a lot of Portuguese immigrants that I lived around, like first generation. And my kids were like, well, what was it like when you were a kid? I'm like, well, if you tried to communicate, your mom would probably hit you with a wooden spoon. So you didn't say a whole lot. <laughs> it's same. I mean, so, I, I'm right there Asian. With you. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm Asian. And, you know, we were not often taught to you definitely don't talk back to people who are older, right? Oh my yes. goodness. Like, you know, yes. there's a lot of things like that that don't teach you things like how do you advocate for yourself? How do you showcase your work? Actually, in fact, Jared, you and I are connected through a mutual friend, Anne, and yes. I just did a whole retreat with their attorneys on how do you put together a fantastic elevator pitch? And it's funny because that's also communications. How do you talk about yourself? I heard it was great, by the way. So if you're an attorney or a law firm owner and you're listening, you need a retreat leader. I think you got one right here. All right. I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I read on your website that you won an Emmy Award. Is that true? I did. I do have an Emmy Award. It's sitting on my shelf right now. So like, do you like take that out and put it in the car next to you and seatbelt it in and show people? Or That must be cool, though, winning an Emmy. Did you, did you expect that that was going to happen? Or was it sort of like this thing that just occurred? Oh, I mean, you never expect it. You dream of it, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's the epitome of, honestly, when I started as a reporter, that was always the dream. Like, if you can yeah. win an Emmy Award, you know you've made it. But it took years, right? You know, it's not like I won it right out of college. It took a lot of work to eventually get to a place where I felt comfortable, solid in my storytelling, my journalism ability. And, you know, this award is really a combination of a of teamwork, really. And everybody says that, but it's really true. I could not have won this without a team effort. 
the way it works is, so we all have like, we have like shows, right? You have your 4 p.m. newscast or 5 p.m. newscast. So this award was because of, I think it was a 4 p.m. newscast that I was on. So it was a bunch of us producers, reporters, writers, and we just put on a fantastic show. And so that's essentially how we won that Emmy Award. So yeah, it's sitting on my shelf right now. I think that's amazing. You're the first person I know who's won an Emmy, I think. And uh, we're still waiting on our first nomination, but uh, we're going to keep trucking. We know our audio quality is great. Let me ask you this. If anybody goes to Jessica's website, I'll provide the information here in a little bit. Um, You work with some pretty major companies. So like you're a news reporter. Now you run this big business. You got these massive companies. Like I know this is probably a confidence thing too, but how do you go from being a news reporter to starting a company and landing like really big fish like that? Because that's not easy to do. I have to say there's so much. And for those who use it or don't use it, I really have to say LinkedIn is- Oh, LinkedIn is great. Yes. The platform you want to be on if you want to build thought leadership. It's the platform where people, you know, you're not needing to do any dancing kind of videos, right? People there really are genuinely (laughs) interested in understanding business. So to be honest, if you want to establish yourself, build your credibility, build your brand as a firm or as an individual, LinkedIn is truly where it's at. And I started Soulcast Media the same time I started posting, basically being on LinkedIn. And from there, it grew simultaneously. And it it grew really fast. Yeah. So you do a lot of stuff with LinkedIn, right? I've noticed like you're pretty heavily involved there and your profile is great. Do you have any tips for people in terms of how they should use LinkedIn? Like, do you need LinkedIn premium to do the kind of stuff that you're doing? Like, how do you build yourself up as a thought leader? Because that's important for any business owner. It really is, you know, whether, and I know there's some folks out there who are like, oh, I don't want to like post stuff on LinkedIn, you know, and it doesn't have to even be so complicated. I think if you are just starting out and you want to just kind of get your feet wet a little bit, simply just following, because you can follow folks too. You can follow folks, comment on their stuff. And this is what I always say. If you start commenting on people's stuff who you admire, suddenly you become a warm contact. People will start to see your name. They start yes. to get familiar with you. And then if you really want to reach out to them, they'll be like, oh, I kind of recognize that name. As long as you're, of course, commenting thoughtful things, right? But there's different ways. I I mean, I personally have LinkedIn Premium. It's not that expensive, honestly. And it gives you a lot of insight of who's looking at your stuff. You know, right. how do the you data reach collection people? collection is great. Exactly. Highly recommend. All right, let me ask you this while we're on the topic of social media. Um, are there other platforms you use? What's your advice? Do you use all of them, as many as you can? LinkedIn's probably your anchor, but what else do you use in addition to that? LinkedIn's my anchor because that's where my audience is. I'm always trying to reach folks in the business field. I mean, even in law too. I mean, that's I think that's might have been how I got even connected with Anne. It's probably through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but our mutual connection. But Instagram, yes. I do have to say, we have been playing around with TikTok a little bit, but I was truly resisting no, no that dancing, platform. No dancing? Because I did not want to dance. I did not want to <laughs> dance and post content. But it's nice in that LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, you can actually still post some thoughtful content. You just have to package it in a different way, right? You just have to be, it has to be really poppy. It has to. So yeah. I have a folk, uh, a person who does that for me. But I we try to be... I mean, I guess you could say everywhere, but to be honest, we're, we're really goes LinkedIn. We're kind of just trying to double down on that. Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome. Like go where your strength is. All right. In terms of like some of the other stuff you do, I noticed that you work on building courses 
And it looks like some of those may be live courses, some of those may be pre-recorded courses. And attorneys are starting to do that and trying to sell those as products, which is effectively what you're doing. So like, how do you build a good course? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of work that goes into that as well. It's funny because I never realized how much my background in news helped me build these courses because, yeah. you know, you have to write the content, you have to produce the content and, you know, even things like this, like audio, video, right? It's like, it's kind of, it's the full package, but there's two ways I go about creating courses. One is I actually have a partnership with LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. So I work with their internal team to create all these courses. So I have 10 courses with them. It's been viewed over 2 million times. It's all communications related. Yeah, that's amazing. But on the, it is. It's you know, very, very lucky to work with such a great team. But on the other side is we here at Soulcast, we create our own courses too. And to be honest, for those who want to get started, make it easy for yourself. When I started creating courses, I didn't even use any sort of fancy equipment. I actually just took my iPhone and I just recorded <laughs> courses. I, I got a good microphone though. That was very important. Get yeah. a good microphone. Yes, the mics. Just use your phone. And then, you know, there's a lot of apps now where you can just have teleprompters and you can just write out what you want to say and you just read it from there. And I just say, just start and you will just naturally get better at it. And then once you package these courses, like what you said, Jared, you can sell it, you can market it. And again, you will become an expert known in that specific industry. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff is evergreen. Like your LinkedIn (laughs) posts remain online forever. Your courses are up there. You just leave them up. That's really smart. And I will say, I want to confirm for everybody, they can't see you, but you got a pretty badass microphone here. I can confirm. One more thing I forgot to ask you off the top. This will be my last question. How'd you come up with the name for your company? Soulcast. (sighs) Usually people have a good story around that. Yeah. You know, I think... Maybe you're you know, the first I, one who doesn't. I don't know. No, I no, I mean it's nothing profound, honestly, but there was some thought behind it in the in the sense that it was really one night I was sitting there, I was like, Well, I want to start my own company, but what do I want to name it? So I actually was I had a notepad, I had a pen, and I was just writing down all these words that meant something to me. So broadcast meant something to me because of my experience in broadcast TV. And soul was something that was meaningful to me because to me, thoughtful, meaningful communications really starts within. So I started figuring out ways like, how can I combine the two? And that's essentially how soul and cast came together, soul cast. And then the media was just because of my background in media and because we do a lot of content, communications, and it just kind of fit together. Yeah, I love it. It's super unique. This was great. Jessica, will you stay around for the final segment? You're not sick of us yet? As long as you don't roast me too hard. (laughs) No, it won't be too bad. So as Jessica alluded to, we'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. That's right. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Hey 
Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back, everybody. That's right. We're once again at the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. It's called the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. So, Jessica, as you may know, as an Emmy winner, the Academy Awards took place last night. Now, because you're an Emmy winner, you're actually a quarter of the way to the EGOT. So you're closer to winning an Oscar also than anyone I know. So let's do a little Oscars trivia in a segment I like to call, and the award goes to. Will the award go to Jessica? I guess we'll find out. Before we get started, do you have any commentary on last night's award show? Because we're recording this the day after the, uh, after the event took place. My comment, and this is almost to this is almost to save myself. I didn't watch it. Oh, good. Okay, so th- I like that. I like that. You threw the disclaimer out there. <laughs> I did. I have to let you know. So, whatever question I get stumped on, it's because I didn't get a chance to catch it. We'll do a little historical stuff. We won't do a whole lot of recent stuff. All right. So, I got five questions for you. We'll see how you do. We've had people go from zero correct answers to five correct answers. It's really a mixed bag. We're all friends here. So let me ask you, Jessica, which movie won the first ever Best Picture Oscar? And I'm going to give you some choices. Option one, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Option two, Wings. Option three, All Quiet on the Western Front. Let me know if you need those again. First ever Best Picture Oscar. 1927, I believe. I mean, it has to be the first one, right? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, so I'm going to give you a mulligan here because you clearly didn't watch the Oscars last night because that won the best picture this year. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's reduce our possibilities here. Wings or All Quiet on the Western Front? First oh best picture Oscar. You can just flip a coin at this point. All Quiet. Oh, no. Wings. No! Yes. Hey, I appreciate the effort, though. You really sold out on this one. All Quiet on the Western Front, which I guess was nominated a new version of it for some Oscars this year. It won the third Best Picture Oscar in 1930. And there was a silent film called Wings that won the first Best Picture Oscar ever. It was a romantic comedy about World War II fighter pilots. So, yeah. I mean, we try to, we try to teach people stuff during the podcast as well. Okay. Here's, the, here's one. Easy yes or no. Got a 50% shot here. Has anyone named Oscar ever won an Oscar? No. <laughs> oh. No? It's, a, it's a yes. <laughs> There's only one dude. Oscar Hammerstein from Rogers and Hammerstein won two Oscars for best original song. Hey, we're only, we're only 40% of the way through. I feel like you can still save this. I, I believe in you. All right. So there is something at the Oscars called the Big Five. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Which of these movies 
have won the Big Five awards in the same year at the Oscars. Silence and Lamps in 1991. It happened one night in 1934, or one flew over the cuckoo's nest in 1975. Give me another clue. (laughs) I said or, but there may be multiple winners, or they could all have won the Big Five awards at the the Oscars. Yes, yes. All of the above. All right. You nailed it. Yes, all three of those movies won all those awards. All right. Here we go. Let me know if you want some hints. I'm more than happy to give hints. <laughs> Two more. Two more. You're almost all right, there. Let's do it. Which of these people has posthumously won an Oscar? It can be more than one. Uh, Peter Finch for Network, Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Marlon Brando for Godfather 2. Posthumous Oscar wins. Could be more than one person. Now that I'm saying that, likely is. <laughs> is it all the above? Is that the answer again? Just the Australians. <laughs> Marlon Brando, American, won his Oscar and uh, declined it. But Peter Finch and Heath Ledger, both Australians, interestingly, are the only two people ever who have won in Oscar posthumously. I'm going to give that one to you. Two of, two, of, two of four. Now, to go over 500 in the rump roast, one more question for you. Which was the first horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture? First horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Was it The Exorcist in 1973, The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, or Parasite in 2019? First. Parasite was a good one. I love Parasite. That's a great movie. But was it good enough to be the first? But it almost seems it's it's too late because it was, you said 2019, right? So I almost want to say... So we're down to The Silence of the Lambs in 1991 and The Exorcist from 1973. Gosh. We got another coin flip here. I don't want to say it's The Exorcist. I don't want to say maybe, But maybe you should. Maybe you should. Okay, should I say yes? Maybe you should. Okay. It is is The Exorcist. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Jessica, you got 60% in the rump roast. Pretty good. I'm really <laughs> impressed. Yeah, The Exorcist was crazy. My dad told me that like when that movie came out, people were like throwing up and like running out of movie theaters. I guess it was like really like one of the first mainstream horror movies and people just weren't prepared for it. So Yeah, I actually hadn't, I haven't watched, I've never watched that movie. And Neither part of have the reason I. why is because I am, I even watching Parasite was, I was like, oh, you know, but it actually wasn't that, it wasn't actually too bad, to be honest. Like, in my opinion, yeah. it was very interesting. But The Exorcist, something along the lines of those kind of movies, just, I don't know, kind of makes um, me go, ooh. Parasite, I felt like, was more of a psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you should see Parasite. It's a great movie. Jessica's right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. This was really fun. You were a great sport. Well, thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Performed very well here. I'm totally impressed. Until next time, take it easy. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Jared. If you want to find out more about Jessica Chen and Soulcast Media, visit soulcastmedia.com. That's S O U L C A S T M E D I A.com, soulcastmedia.com. Now, for those of you listening intently in Chubbuck, California, I've got a great Spotify playlist for you. We've got a list of songs that have won the Academy Award for Best Song. Only the very best for you, at least according to the Academy. Now, I've run out of time today to talk about why Miracle Whip is a superior condiment, 
but we may have to dedicate an entire episode on that topic at some point in the future. So watch out for that. Good mayonnaise talk. Wait, it's not mayonnaise. It's Miracle Whip. This is Jared Korea reminding you that the moving walk is coming to an end. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.